Well, hello. I wonder if in times that were normal you have ever visited the Louvre in Paris, the Louvre Art Gallery. Um, the Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci is displayed there and just a few years ago um, my husband Steve and me well we went for a long weekend in Paris very nice and we decided we'd go and see the Mona Lisa so we went into the Louvre and I don't know if you've ever been there but the whole place is somewhat confusing that big glass pyramid on the top and then all the galleries and some if I remember rightly were even underground and whatnot anyway we followed the signs to go and find the Mona Lisa and eventually we did get there uh, um, but when we got there there were crowds and crowds and crowds of people around it uh, but the weirdest thing um, they weren't looking at it they were all stood with their backs to it and it's quite small and they were taking selfies and they were holding up their cameras and smiling with the picture in the background little those sort of signs and everything we couldn't get near it we couldn't get near the picture to have a good look at it for all the people who were just trying to prove they were there uh, so we wandered off and looked at something different instead and the people there, the crowds in front of the Mona Lisa, well, obviously they'd taken more notice of the directions, the signs pointing to the picture than they had actually of looking at the masterpiece itself. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, this passage is about the same thing, actually. The first half of John's Gospel is sometimes called the Book of Signs because John describes seven of them in the first bit of his book and this healing is actually the second one of the signs and in spite of John reminding us that um, a prophet has no honour in his own country superficially this passage seems to tell us quite the opposite Jesus is welcomed by the Galileans who've seen what he did in Jerusalem and John alludes to that what happened in Jerusalem in uh, chapter 2 verse 23 where he says, now while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But here in Cana, Jesus is fearing that his welcome is superficial. The people in Galilee are following the signs, but they're not interested in the masterpiece that the signs are directing them to. They're enjoying the spectacle. They're enjoying the big wow moments, what he's doing, but they're not looking closely at the man himself, believing in who he is. Do you remember John's big theme at the start of his gospel, where he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh. But the people of Galilee are so busy admiring the flesh, they're forgetting about the word. Tom Wright, the theologian, puts it like this. The people want a Messiah who will perform miracles to order rather than moving on to the real faith which will grasp Jesus's hidden identity, the word dwelling in the flesh. But you might well ask these things. Why did Jesus perform the signs if it meant people would follow him for the wrong reasons? 
And what, you might well also be asking, is the proper way to respond to the amazing signs that Jesus undoubtedly did? Well, this short conversation between the royal official and Jesus shows us how. The conversation went something like this, if you remember. Uh, Jesus, my son's dying, please heal him. <sighs> you people. Oh, please, just come quickly. Go back home, he'll live. And that was basically it. Well, I guess, of course, the man will have heard the si about the signs and wonders that Jesus was performing. Otherwise, he would never have travelled all the way up from his hometown in Capernaum up to the hill town of Cana to beg Jesus to come and heal his desperately ill son. But Jesus seems, on the face of it, to query the man's motives. He seems to be lumping him in with all the other thrill-seekers and rubberneckers. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus tells him, you will never believe. But the man isn't intimidated by this apparent brush-off and he persists, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus simply says, Go, your son will live. Now it's significant that the Greek word for life, for live here, which is zao, Z-A-O, has a richer meaning than just getting better from illness. It also is alluding to Jesus as the giver of life, of eternal life. So the royal official takes Jesus at his word and off he sets, goes back home, and just only part way there, he gets the news that his son was healed. And it was at the exact time that Jesus said, your son will live. Now, the official's faith didn't come because he saw those amazing signs and wonders. It came because he believed in Jesus. He himself, in fact, revealed, received life in the fullest sense of the word. Actually, not just him, but his whole household, none of whom, as far as we know, had met Jesus for themselves or seeing any of the miracles. So this emphasis on believing on the strength of Jesus's words, as opposed to believing him because we've seen something amazing, is a continuing theme right through John's Gospel. We see it first of all at Cana. There's Jesus at the wedding. The wine runs out. Jesus changes water into wine so that the party can continue. No one's life is saved. Uh, except perhaps the father of the bride who, uh, who had run out and massively undercated. But however, John writes in chapter 2 verse 11 that this changing of the water into wine was the first of the signs that Jesus, through which Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. They saw Jesus's glory in that sign and it was in the person of Jesus not the miracle that they believed. That's why Jesus performed the sign to point to the truth of who he really is. So the two miracles done in Cana signpost us firstly to Jesus' glory, secondly to his ability to give life. John's signs theme probably reaches its climax in chapter 20 
uh, after Jesus has been resurrected and he comes and he encounters his disciples and Thomas is there and Thomas says, well, I won't believe unless I see. And Jesus gently repro reproves him. He says, have you believed now because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And John goes on to summarise in the next verses why Jesus performed the signs. John 20, 30 to 31, actually almost at the end of his gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here's the answer to the two questions. I rather cheekily took the liberty of deciding that you were answering based on no information whatsoever. The two questions, why did Jesus perform signs and wonders and what is the proper response to them? John says that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here are a few things for you to take away and chew over in the coming days, I hope. Firstly, the royal official approached Jesus in desperate need with only just that one thing on his mind. His son was dying and Jesus could be the one to heal him. But he ended up receiving far more than he could ever have dreamed. By the act of healing his son, Jesus gave him enough evidence that the whole household would put their faith in God's life-giving love. So what would you like to ask Jesus for? What would you love or desperately need for him to do? You know, you can come to Jesus and ask him for the desires of your heart, simply and humbly, just like the royal official did. This little story shows us how God can take care, not just of your obvious visible needs, but the invisible needs that maybe you didn't even know that you had. So that's the first thing. What would you like to ask Jesus for? Secondly, in making your requests of Jesus, what might be your motives? Because if you're just looking for a miracle, then you're in danger of being limited by the act itself. The water turns into wine, the sick boys healed, uh, oh, uh, many thousands of people are fed, miraculous catches of fish happen. You're in danger of revering Jesus for the act and in fact just saying, look what Jesus can do. But if you understand that the miraculous healing or act is a sign, then you're declaring, look who Jesus is. The act points to the person. Now, this week we had the most awful news, didn't we? That over 100,000 people had died of coronavirus in the UK 
That's over a hundred thousand families devastated by personal loss. Many more been left struggling with ongoing symptoms of long COVID or left bereft and lonely or lost their work or lost their income. Parents are getting simply desperate from the stresses of homeschooling with no certain end in sight. And many of us, including myself, are saying we need a miracle. We need something to bring this to an end. But how if we say instead that we need God? We need the hope that he brings and then we thank him by putting our faith and trust that he will bring us through. We can ask for a miracle, but we need to put our trust in the miracle maker. Here's John again. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall never perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is the fullness of God in human form. The visible pointing to the invisible. The sign is pointing to the truth that God is present and he's working with and through our human experiences, whether they be good or bad. The word became flesh and he is living among us. This is who we put our hope in, not in the miracles he might or might not do. So as well as asking God for what we need, check our motives in the asking. Are we looking at the act rather than the person? Finally, and much more shortly, in making your request of Jesus, will you take him at his word, like the official did, who turned and went back home without any further evidence. He walked in obedience. Or will you miss what God might be doing because it isn't what you expected or wanted him to do? So to summarise, these things I would love if you felt God speaking to you to take away and think about. What would you like to ask Jesus for? Ask him. But check your motives in the asking. And having asked, will you take Jesus, the word of life with a capital W, at his word? So we're going to take a few minutes now to allow some space, some time, for you just to uh, speak to God, speak to Jesus for what you want or need at this time, for what your heart's desire is. Or maybe some time you need just to examine what your motives are at the moment and then to commit to acting in obedience. So let's pray. I'll lead us in prayer, then I will give us some silence. Heavenly Father, living word, 
Jesus Christ our Lord, we thank you that you are the Word made flesh, that you live among us, that you came down to earth, that you experience and have experienced all the suffering and more that we might undergo for ourselves. And Lord, we come to you now as the giver of life and we ask you for our heart's desires. Show us where our motives are not right, where we're looking for the wow, the experience, rather for you than for you, the person. And help us now to commit to act in obedience to what you might say to us. So we just give you this time of quiet now, Lord, and we pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us in the quiet of our hearts, wherever we are. And we say together, Amen.